You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you. Glad to be together this day. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Shay Sumlin, one of the pastors here at Northway, and I would love to invite you to grab a Bible if you have one with you there and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We are going to be looking at just two verses this week, just two, but they are two powerful verses for us, I think. Um, We are making our journey through the book of Romans, this letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome in the first century, and uh, really just putting on display the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, this good news that has saved us, has redeemed us, and has set us free for God's glory. And we are in this section in the book of Romans that's dealing with what happens kind of post-salvation. It's this big fancy term called sanctification, which means to be set apart, that God in saving and redeeming a creation for his own, a people for his own, he has taken that creation, that redeemed people and has set us apart for his glory. And specifically, what he's showing is this process of refinement and transformation in the life of a Christian that more and more over time makes us look like Jesus Christ, weans us off of things, of those lesser sufficiencies that we tend to cling to so that Jesus can become all sufficient for us. And in this chapter eight, what we saw last week is that one of the the ways that God gets us to cling and to look more like Jesus is through both the pain and the purification of suffering. Not anything that anybody would ask for, but yet God in his sovereignty will use it for his glory and for our good. And we looked at last week, one of the ways that God carries us through our sufferings is the hope that he gives us in the midst of those sufferings, the hope of a future day that the day we're in right now is not the day that awaits us. There is a future glory that is coming that makes our present sufferings not even worthy to be compared to of that day that is coming for us. And that hope of that future day compels us to move forward in faith, even when the world around us is falling apart. And that's a beautiful hope. And that hope certainly is what, what compels me to move forward. But if you're like me, even though I rejoice to see that day coming and am motivated to persevere in light of it, I still find myself asking in some of the most broken parts of this life, okay, Lord, what else is there? What else is there right now? Not just that future hope, but what is the present help that you have given me that can actually empower me and sustain me to trust more in you and to see your glory shine through and certainly my good in the midst of this suffering. What help is there? And Paul says in verses 26 and 27 of Romans chapter eight, I am so glad you asked. Because the truth is not only is there a future hope for us, there is a present help. And notice in verse 26, Paul's gonna begin with the word likewise. That's an important grammatical uh, word that's used there for us that shows us that what Paul just got done telling us in the previous passage, and likewise, in the same way, it's gonna apply to another realm of life in the midst of this suffering as well. In other words, and really this likewise is twofold here. In one sense, 
Just like there is a hope for us in verses 18 through 25, there is also a help for us in verses 26 and 27. But more than that, what Paul is saying here is just as creation groans in its suffering in verse 22, and just as you and I groan, and we do, in our sufferings in verse 23, likewise, in verses 26 and 27, you have a God who groans with you in your sufferings and for you in your sufferings. And this is a comfort. This should be such a great comfort, this passage. And it has been for me because I can tell you what, I know what it's like to groan in this life. I have not been exempt from suffering in my own life. I know for my wife and I what it felt like to groan when we sat at the edge of my wife's mom's, my mother-in-law's bed in the hospital when the doctor came in and told us that she has an incurable cancer and at best has a year to live. And having in that moment the entire air in that room sucked out to where in that moment it was so disorienting that just flood after flood of emotion hits you. You're not even sure how to make sense of this in this moment. You literally can't breathe in trying to make sense of that diagnosis. And then I know what it's like just two months later to sit in that same hospital room and watch my wife kiss the cold face of the lifeless body of her mother as we handed her body off to the funeral home. And the flood of emotions when you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, you don't even know how to pray. All you know how to do is groan and have these, these inarticulable burdens within you that are literally just weighting you down, trying to escape. And we could go on and on in the various sufferings and hardships that each of us walk through and what it looks like to hurt in those moments. Those moments, again, when you're so enveloped in pain and shock and disorientation. And I think this passage, more than any other, is going to confirm for us that in those moments, your God sees you. Your God knows what you're walking through. And your God cares. And your God aches right along with you over the broken reality that you are experiencing. But more than anything, your God has the power to help you walk through this and to carry you through to that future day that's coming. I want you to see this in verse 26. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The first thing that we see right here is that the help that we so desperately need in our sufferings and in our insufficiencies in those sufferings, that help is not found in a what, that, that help is found in a who. The Holy Spirit, the third member of our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three persons, one God. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to help us. 
I don't know if you, we, we referenced this a couple of weeks ago, but remember in John 16, seven, remember the words of Jesus that he told his disciples before he went to the cross. He said this, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. There is a helper that you need that in order to carry through in this life and in order to get that helper, I've got to go away. So it's actually to your advantage that I, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the the son of God leaves you so that you can have the helper. And I've told you before that passage has always puzzled me in my finite thinking and in my flesh, because why would I want you to go away? I'm not so sure about that, Jesus. I think I would actually prefer you to stay as this physical presence that's right here with me. I think I would rather take that. And have you ever thought about that? I mean, which would you be better off with? Being unconverted with with the visible presence of Jesus with you? or being converted with the very spirit of God dwelling in you. Now, again, I think think I'd take the physical presence of Jesus. Alex, I'd I'd like that for 300 right now. I'd take that right now. And Jesus says, no, actually, it is the spirit of God who is to your advantage, who will dwell in you as your helper. The Holy Spirit. Think about that, because if he dwells within us, that means the presence of God is not just this external thing. It's not me walking down the street to a local temple so that I can approach God with my request. I have that temple dwelling within me. That means that access to that power source is in me, not outside. This is a good thing. The word help that's used there is a Greek word that literally means one who comes alongside to the other side of your burden and helps lift up that burden. Um, This is what that help means. I, I think about if you've ever moved furniture, then you've experienced a form of the Holy Spirit in your life as a metaphor. This past summer, we chose to sell our house and move into another one. And unfortunately, That happened right when shelter in place went down. Y'all remember that? Can you fast rewind the tape back to a year ago when that went down, when everybody's staying at home and the only thing we're worrying about at that point is where we're gonna get toilet paper. Do you remember that day? And for some reason, we chose to move in the middle of that little time period. And because COVID was so new, nobody knew what the heck was going on, what was safe. Nobody's going over anybody's houses. And so it's not real easy to hire a moving company in that time. You dang sure you're not gonna have a bunch of volunteers that wanna come hang out at the Sumlin house, eat some pizza together and grab some COVID. And so nobody wanted to do that. And so what had to happen with us is I had to contract all my daughter's moving company to come help us. They're sitting right here, actually. They've attended, this fine organization has attended here this morning. My daughters, they became, we're gonna move our entire house seven people, multiple bedrooms, and we're going to do it ourselves. And I want to think myself as a strong man with a strong back and legs like an ox. That's why I like to think of myself. And I realized very quickly how weak I was when it came to lifting certain items in the house. You cannot do alone. I could not lift the couch on my own. I could not lift the, uh, the oversized dressers on my own. I needed help. And 
I empowered my young daughters to come do that along with my wife. And, and they came around side my burden and helped lift it all together, every single item in that house and moved it. If you're looking for helpers to move, they will charge a fine rate for you. They can come over and help you do that. Paul says here in the same way, God's given us a helper whose job is to come alongside our burdens and help lift what we are insufficient to carry. And that is the Holy Spirit. The only other place in the New Testament that this word help is used is in one other place. It's in Luke chapter 10, when Martha said of Mary to Jesus, would you tell her to get in here and help me? Help me lift some dishes up and get them washed right now. I need some help. And so likewise, the Spirit is our helper. Now, how? What is the Spirit helping us with? And I think it's interesting here because in this verse, Paul could have listed, and I think he should maybe have listed, if it were up to me, a hundred other things that the Holy Spirit could help us with. Healing somebody who's sick and dying and restoring their health. Uh, I think he could talk about the role of the Holy Spirit to counsel and provide wisdom that I just don't have in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this trial. There are a number of things that Paul could have listed in ways in which the Holy Spirit helps lift burdens. And I find it interesting what he's going to say here is the one thing the Holy Spirit has the ability to do in our suffering is to help us pray. <laughs> I go, that seems shocking in some ways. You would think the easiest thing for a Christian to do is to pray, right? You would think that, at least on paper. Do you have to have arms in order to pray? Do you have to have legs in order to pray? Do you, do you even need a mouth to pray? No. All you really need is to have the ability to just think and need. And yet, for all, so many of us, if not all of us, that becomes one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? I know for me it is, and I think that's why Paul starts right here. It is the sign of the most dependent thing that you can do. God cannot fill what is already full of something else. God will fill what is empty. And when we come to God in dependence, that is when the Holy Spirit has carte blanche freedom to move in our lives and transform. And this is why I think he begins with prayer. He says in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Why? Because we don't know what to pray as we should. Is that true? Do you know how to pray perfectly when the, when the wheels are falling off? Not at all. And let me prove how that's true. Let's suppose for a moment a deal was made with God that he had to go back and retroactively answer every single prayer you have ever prayed in your life just as you prayed it. How many of y'all would have about 32 spouses right now in your life that you have no business having right now? Remember praying for those? How many of us would have absolutely cratered our lives right now simply because of what we asked God for? Like we treat God sometimes like he's Alexa or he's Siri and we just tell him what to do and hoping they'll get it right and do it. Like how many of us would have literally ended all of human civilization this past election cycle just by what we prayed for, would have cratered our entire planet. You know the reason why God doesn't answer that? Because God knows that we don't know how to pray as we should. And this has been a lifelong struggle for me, if I can just be real for a second. Prayer is not a naturally easy thing for me. 
I, I think there is a baseline pragmatist within me that just wants to get the work done myself. I don't like delegating in general. And the uber form of delegation is when you hand it over to the Holy Spirit. I'd rather do things myself. My wife is such a gift to me because she, she is a gracious challenge in that area to me. Her first response is almost always to pray. And I'm sitting there going, we don't have to, we gotta get going. We gotta get this thing taken care of right here. Now we're gonna sit and pray. But I think it's also a challenge for me because when I finally do go to pray, I wrestle with paralysis of analysis, like crazy. Some may call it ADD. I just get frozen sometimes. Like if you were to ask me, say, hey, Shay, let's pray for our country right now. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's pray for our country right now. It's jacked up. All right, all right, Lord, I'm just gonna, how, where do you start? Pray for our country. Like and my mind will go in a thousand different directions and then I'll start psyching myself out as to whether I should pray for that or is that already something God's gonna do or should I, should I pray for this? And I, I just get frozen at times and I'll just end up just going, Lord, just, just fix the stupid that's in our country right now. Just fix the stupid. And then I'll sit there and I'll go, man, speaking of stupid, remember that show I was watching the other day? That was stupid. That show was, why did I even waste time watching that stupid? And my, I'm just going down all these trails. I'm like, how in the world is God gonna move in that? God is merciful and not always answering our stupid. God is merciful. Instead, what God does for the believer in Christ is this in verse 26. Spirit helps us because we don't know what to pray as we should. And so the Spirit now himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words? There's a common interpretation that I want to challenge for just a minute. And I know it's common, and especially in really hyper-charismatic camps, that this is indeed evidence of a, of a prayer language. This is the idea of praying in tongues um, in the midst of this. And that in a sense, your mind has to be transcended into a tongue that not even you understand, but the Spirit does. And uh, the challenge I'll have is that it's, is not that I don't believe in the gift of tongues. I do. Um, there is one verse in all of the New Testament that has an explicit reference to praying in a tongue. First Corinthians 14, 14. It's the only verse that explicitly says that. And so there may be indeed the case for that, although there's an asterisk by there because the context of that chapter, Paul's saying it is actually possible to pray in a tongue. He's saying it's not profitable to do so. So, but there certainly could be a case there. The reason why, the main reason why I would challenge that is not the case here is because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us, even though there is a gift of tongues, not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody has the gift of tongues. There are many who don't. I myself don't. I've asked for it. Many different situations have not received that gift, but some do in certain situations. They certainly do, but Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, not everybody does, and that's a fact. And so therefore, when we get to Romans 8, who is this passage addressed to? Is it addressed to just the few that have been gifted with the gift of tongues? Or is this verse addressed to the universal body of Christ? It is addressed to the universal body of Christ. So this cannot be evidence here, maybe in other texts, but not here for a prayer language of speaking in tongues. Instead, let me tell you what I believe this text means and why it's so significant for us as followers of Christ, as children of God. Two main reasons I think we're gonna draw from 
this text. One is that of identification. The other is that of intercession. It's the role of the Holy Spirit in our groanings, his identification and intercession. In terms of identification, it's the idea that when we groan in our sufferings, according to verse 23, we do. And when we don't know what to pray for in those moments, where we're so overwhelmed by the pain that just hit us and the disorientation that we're in, the Holy Spirit joins us in our groanings. Creation groans, we groan, and the Holy Spirit groans right alongside with us and even for us in this moment. Those those weights and those burdens and those inarticulable emotions that we have in the midst of suffering that we don't even have words for, he feels them too. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who's put these groanings there. And that should be a comfort to us, by the way, right out of the gate, that just as creation groans, just as we groan, likewise, the Spirit groans as well, right alongside with us. Your God sees, your God knows, your God cares, and your God aches right alongside with you. He understands, the Spirit knows the world that is is not the world it should be. It's been broken by sin and fractured, and it brings pain, and he enters into that with us. The word groaning that is used there is the Greek word stenagmos. It means an inarticulable emotion. The same root word stenazos was used in verses 22 and 23, which means to sigh. You ever felt that... that that emotion when some news comes and you just, all you can do is just go, oh, just that, 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 that sigh that hits you. We got news this weekend of a, a faithful family that has been attending here for a while and the husband was killed in a ski accident. And I don't care who you are, when that text message or that phone call or what comes through, the first thing that happens, I think, is this stenazos this, oh, no, Lord. In Hebrews 13, 17, it's translated grieve, to to grieve, this this deep sorrow that's within you. Groanings are those deep, heavy-laden emotions of the soul that the Spirit himself enters in with you, that, oh, the Spirit of God enters in and voluntarily takes upon himself the burdens that you are feeling that you have no idea or no words for how to articulate. But he doesn't just stop there. We don't have a God who just identifies with us. We actually have a God who has the power and ability to then intercede for us where we cannot. Look at this at the end of verse 26. He says, the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, again, the Spirit not only feels what we're feeling, which we can't even put words to, but he actually intercedes for us by taking those inarticulable weights, those burdens, those emotions, even, listen to this, even your tears. And the Holy Spirit has the ability to take your pain and to take your tears and your groanings and translate them into prayers 
that are in accordance with the will and plan of God for you in the midst of your suffering. He has that ability. Incidentally, that word stenogmos, do you know what word we get from that? We get the word stenographer. You know what a stenographer is? It is one who translates and synthesizes speech, can take big ideas, synthesize them down, and present them in the right context. Think about it this way. Again, what if you found out that God's answer to your prayers was dependent upon how well you could articulate those prayers? How many of y'all would be hosed right now? Every one of us. Like, this is the problem. I think innately within us, we feel like there's varsity level and junior varsity level, and oh, I'll never be like these pastors or theologians who just seem to wordsmith everything so right. Certainly God's got an attentive ear to those kind of prayers, but mine, he's not gonna listen to the yelps of a beggar down here like me. Man, we're, we're all beggars in that camp. Like if God could only answer your prayers based on how you edited and articulated them, like we would all be in trouble. But instead, here's the mercy of God. This is what God does. First, in the midst of our suffering and groanings, the Holy Spirit burdens us to pray. He burdens us to pray, a burden which according to verse 27 is meant to be in alignment with the will of God. But here's the problem. There is a tension because the will of God in this burden and suffering is at odds against the tension with the broken reality of the circumstance that we find ourselves in and the weakness of our flesh to know what to say about it or to know where it's to go. That's the weakness in our flesh is that this, this burden that lies within us. We know we need to pray. We, we know God wants to get glory out of this. We know this suffering, even though it's horrific, is gonna be used for my good. But at the same time, I don't know how to articulate that in a way that lines up with the will of God, that he would hear that prayer and answer it precisely as asked. And so what happens? The Holy Spirit, that helper who comes alongside to lift that burden, he intercedes like a good stenographer, the Holy Spirit has the ability to search our hearts, to sift through those groanings. It's David in Psalm 139, search me and know me, O God. You know the depths of me that I don't even know. Search through that, sift through that. Literally take my tears, God, and translate them in such a way that they would land where they need to land on the throne room floor to accomplish your will in the midst of this. The Holy Spirit, has that power to be able to do that when we don't. The Holy Spirit has the wisdom in our groanings that we lack and don't have. And this is how he helps us in our weakness. Now, how many are thankful for that? Y'all, this is, this is what is called in Jude 20 and Ephesians 6.18 is praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is not a prayer language. It is juxtaposed against praying in the flesh. Praying in the flesh is when you and I come rooted in self, controlled by false motives, seeking the exaltation of our own comfort and glory. And Paul says, when you empty yourself of that and you come instead filled with not self, but filled with the spirit of God, controlled by the spirit's guidance, following his promptings, yielding yourself to him, even in pain, when you don't have the words to say, you are praying in the spirit. You are being led by the Spirit in accordance with God's will. Can I tell you what has helped me so much in my faith and in my prayer life along the way as 
struggle as I may with it. There was a time, I remember in college, I was having a devotion, and it was one of those, it was just a, um, a guided devotion time, and it had me read Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It's a beautiful verse. I mean, it's speaking to this prayer life and the grace that is available to you in the throne room of God for his children. There's mercy there. There's grace there for you. But what I wrestled with is what it meant to approach prayer with confidence. It's like, I, I don't even... I can't pray confidently. I don't know. I remember praying for my wife. This is how tricked out I get in my head. I'm like, Lord, would you have her marry me? She's the girl of my dreams. Please, we've sifted through all these others. We found the one. Like, let her be my wife, God. But then I'd psych myself out. I'm like, but if she's not the one, well, I don't want her then, God. I want your will to be done, not mine. And I'm just tricking myself out over and over. I was like, just do whatever you want to do, God. I couldn't pray confidently. What does this mean to pray confidently? And I realized, well, there's, there's a reason that verse is there. It's in a context. And there's a couple of things that the Lord used to help me understand what it meant to pray confidently. First of all, reading the verses that came before verse 16 in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, Oh, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Now we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. One of the things that gives you and I confidence to pray is not our ability to articulate that prayer well. It's understanding that one has been sent for us. Jesus Christ, God's son, who came and took on flesh, was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin, who went to the cross, who gave his life for us so that the veil in the temple could be torn and placed that temple within us and dwelt by the Holy Spirit so that we, as Romans 8 said earlier, can have access to God as Abba, Father. The reason you can pray confidently is because your heavenly Father gave his own son to run that treadmill for you so that access can be opened up. When my daughters approach me with a question, I don't demand that they come to me with perfect articulation before I'm able to answer that question for them. I know what my daughters need most times before they come to me. How much more so your heavenly father who access has been opened up because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You can go into the throne room of God in boldness in prayer, not because of your own strength, but the strength of Jesus Christ who opened that access for you. That's number one. Jesus himself, by the way, was such an example for this. Hebrews 5, 7 says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. How so? Like us with loud cries and tears. It wasn't that Jesus had this picture that he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, not my will, but your will. And he's just articulating. So he's weeping. He's groaning. He's pleading if there's any other way. And it tells us here in Hebrews 5, 7 that he was able 
He was able to make this plea to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard, not because of the articulation of his prayers, but it says because of his reverence, his dependence upon his father, that his will be done, not mine. I can trust you in that. He came with full dependence. If anybody on earth could articulate a perfect prayer, whatever that standard is, it had to be Jesus. And yet it wasn't the editing of his prayers that got him heard. It was his dependence on the will of God to be done, even through the tears and the crying. And so that is one thing that gives us confidence. But secondly, I love how sometimes the Bible just answers those questions. What is the confidence we're supposed to have? John in 1 John 5.14 says this. Hey, this is the confidence that we need to have towards him. Okay, I'm listening. He's answering it right here. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I'm like, oh, okay, that's the confidence. We just got to ask according to his will. What is his will? And here I go, psyching myself out again. And it's when I came to understand the two primary wills of God that we see manifest in scripture the providential will of God and the perceptive will of God, the unknown will of God and the known will of God. God does have, he has a known will he's given us. Do you need to try to guess at what righteousness looks like in our life? Do you need to try to guess at what kind of spouse you need to be entering into a marriage covenant with? No, we have that right here. That is God's known will, his perceptive will that you can perceive and know, no guesswork. You can interpret definitions of sexuality and all that based upon it being revealed right here. You don't have to guess. But who I'm going to marry, what job I'm going to have in the coming years, where I'm going to live, should I go to this college? I don't have that knowledge. That is God's providential will. That is his unknown will. But here's the deal. God doesn't hold us accountable for the things which we have no control over. God doesn't hold us accountable for the unknown. What God wants us to do is be rooted in the known will and entrust to him that which is unknown. That changed my prayer life. Going, the confidence I can have, one, Jesus has given me access to my father, who's not putting performance pressure on me in my prayers. But second is that I can actually take his word. I don't know what to pray is the end result of this thing, but I know how I can pray in the midst of it that is rooted in the character of God and in the trust that I'm called to have in him as my father who's in control of all things. And so do you always know the right words to pray? No, you don't. Pray anyway, because you have one within you who knows what you're walking through, who has come alongside you to help lift those burdens and ensure that even your tears make it to the throne room of God and are translated to a prayer that understands how to be in agreement with the very will of God at work in your life and he can sift out all the other ignorances. Y'all, if that is not what this text means, we are all host. This is good news. So saint of God, rest. Rest in the providential trust of God through the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. Let this be comfort to you. You don't have to come to God like a theologian in your prayer life. You just need to come with dependence and he will work it out for you and for his glory. In the meantime, I think it's, it is important for us as a body of Christ that we do our part to at least rid ourselves of as much distraction as possible. 
so that we can really genuinely listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead us. Our job's to follow. I'd love to invite the band up here because here's what I want to do. I don't want us to just end this with just a greater knowledge about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our sufferings. I want us to walk away in application where we can take this muscle that none of us are great in and we can stretch it a little bit and create some space right now to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in prayer, to ask the Holy Spirit to burden us that which we need to be praying for and to ask the Holy Spirit to intercede in accordance with the will of God and that we would trust him in it. I don't know what you need to be praying for right now. Maybe you have some immediate needs in your own life that you're wrestling through. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe you need healing in your life right now, physical healing. You can come to him in dependence for that. Maybe you need emotional healing. Maybe the scars are so deep from what you've walked through and you need the Holy Spirit to minister to you right now through the counsel of God's word. Maybe there are some of you in here, it's not even you, it's those around you that are walking through incredible suffering. And the Holy Spirit is burdening you to intercede and pray for them. Maybe for some of you, you're burdened by what's going on in our culture right now, in our city, in our government, whatever it may be. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead you in accordance with his word. Use this time to listen to those promptings and ask the Holy Spirit to guide. I'm gonna give us some space right here to do that. Just to quiet before the Lord, let him lead you. And then we'll come back, we're gonna worship together and we'll take communion on the backside, okay? Let's pray.